0: We have you covered. Call now with your outdoor questions. In Appleton, call 281-1150 or outside the Valley, 866-887-1150. From the Myron Construction Studios of WHBY, it's Outdoors with Rob Zimmer, brought to you by Brookdale Appleton Senior Living.
2: And good afternoon. You are listening to Focus Fox Valley. My name is Haley Tenpass on a beautiful Friday afternoon and joined, of course, by Rob Zimmer. Good afternoon, Rob.
3: Good afternoon. How are you?
2: I'm wonderful. Good. Excited to be chatting with you this afternoon.
3: Awesome. I'm glad you're here.
2: Thank you. Excited to
3: be chatting with you.
2: Beautiful week we've had.
3: It is. It's been a great week. Yes.
2: Good to get outside. I'm sure that's where you were most of the week.
3: I was outside a lot this week. Yep.
2: So let's... let's, uh, Maybe get a brief overview of what we're going to talk about. And, of course, if folks have questions, please give us a call, 281-1150. Yes. Or if you're outside of the Appleton area, you can call our TDS Metrocom toll-free line, 1-866-887-1150. 1150 would love to hear what you've been seeing outside your windows, of course. Yes,
3: of course. And what you're growing in your gardens and uh, how many mosquito bites you have and
2: Zero also so far, so far f- for me this year. Oh,
3: really? Oh, you're lucky. Yeah.
2: I feel very lucky.
3: Mosquitoes have gotten bad the last week or so, but but yeah, it was a great week. Um, today, we're, I'm going to talk about a couple different things. I did have a request for my top 10 list today, so I'm going to do top 10 uh, medium-sized hostas. I had a very specific mm. request. They don't want the big giant ones. They don't want the little miniature ones. They want to know what's best. what I think are the best medium-sized hostas. Um, lots of other stuff to talk about, too. Lots of events going on this weekend and next weekend that I want to talk about, garden and outdoor-related um, it is Invasive Species Awareness Month. If you're following my Facebook page at Rob Outdoors, which you better be. If you're not, go like it right now. I'm going to talk about that Invasive Species. It's also National Rose Month. So I'll mm. we'll give you guys some information on some roses, um, all sorts of fun stuff to talk about.
2: Perfect time for gentlemen to maybe pick up some roses for the there lovely ladies in oh. their life.
3: Yeah, it doesn't have to be the plant itself. It can just be some, go get some cut flowers. Some cut flower roses. Love
2: that. Well, you've been yep. having some very beautiful pictures of some plants on your Facebook page, oh, thank Rob. You. But thank they're you. not the nice ones.
3: No, some they're invasive. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've been posting nice ones too. But Good. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of invasive. But because it is invasive species awareness month, so I do want people to uh, to be aware of them, even if they're not always uh, um, what do I want to say uh, desired in your garden or in your landscape. But uh, it's all about awareness. So. Yeah, they're not always pretty. but Well, they're always pretty, but they're not always desirable. So. Uh, but it was a great week outdoors. I've been doing a lot outside. Um, on, this week on Wednesday, I actually did a program over at Woodland Dunes Nature Center over in Two Rivers. I did a, a rare wildflowers of Wisconsin program, and then we took a wildflower hike after. So that was fun to so get out there with uh, about 40 people at Woodland Dunes in Two Rivers. And uh, lots of people came out to experience the program and took a hike looking for some of the wildflowers. And uh, great time there.
2: Perfect. Well, we have uh, a caller on the line. We have Lois here to chat with us. Hi, Lois. Hey, Lois.
4: Hello. Uh, I've got a question for you. I have a yellow iris growing along the south side of my house, and it appears that they're just about done blooming, and I'm wondering if there's anything else I can do to uh, keep them over till next year.
3: Um. Are they? I'm assuming are they bearded iris? When you say yellow iris, are they the the old-fashioned bearded ones? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Basically, all you have to do, and and they're going fast this year because we hit 100 degrees, you know, Memorial Day weekend. So they kind of got rushed into their bloom and they went pretty fast. But basically, all you need to do is just let them let them um, finish their bloom, and when they start to when the stalk starts to get a little dry, you can cut that stalk off, and then just leave leave the green leaves. Um, let them stand all winter long. I'm assuming they're in full sun, or they probably wouldn't be blooming. But let yes, the le- they are.
4: They yeah. are in full sun on the south side of my house.
3: Yeah. So just let the let the leaves continue to grow all summer long and feed that that rhizome. That's what they, you need to keep that green growth on there, so it feeds the bulb for next year. Um, and if they're really thick, I'm not sure. Uh, um, if you know what they look like when they need dividing, but sometimes like uh, they get kind, of, they grow like into each other and over each other, kind of like if you take your fingers and kind of net them together. If mm-hmm. they start to look like that, you can actually chop them up in the fall and, and so, sort of split them out and replant mm-hmm. them. As long as you have a section that has some roots and a leaf um, fan that comes out of it, that'll be a new plant then.
4: Okay, so all you really have to do is wait until the bloom is done and then cut them down uh, the stem. Down to by the
3: leaves, yep, yeah, just yeah, just to keep you know because a lot of people don't want that ugly you know dried stem there, so they just chop that off, but yeah, don't cut the leaves off, some people will cut the fans down, but um, then of course you're you're not they need that green leaf for the for the photosynthesis to build the strength back up in the bulb, and really, all they want to do all summer long is just bake in the hot sun, so uh, let them bake away, and then next year you'll have beautiful irises again,
4: okay, uh, yeah, I did uh uh, thin them out. Uh, what was said about two years ago, and oh, good. I might have to thin them out again next year.
3: Yeah, usually I I usually say every three to five years or so. But some of those some of those uh, some of them uh, thicken up faster than others. But yeah, if you did about two years ago, you're probably good for one more year, and then next year you'll probably have to thin them out.
4: Okay. Well, thank you very much for the info. You're
3: welcome. And smell them; they smell amazing. Yes. <laughs>
4: Nice. I wish they yep. bloom longer and be able to. Work right. where you could take them in the house. You know, and they don't last very
3: long when no. you. No. Especially when it's this warm. The hotter it gets, the if we had a cool summer or a cool spring, they last a little bit longer. But it was so hot, so early that uh, they just kind of boom and they were gone. But
4: okay. Well, I will do that.
3: All right. Well, enjoy them, Lois.
2: Thank you very much. Thank You're you, welcome. Lois. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye. I did notice a lot of very beautiful, bright-colored irises yes, this yeah. year.
3: I, and I was earlier this week, um, if you're on my Facebook page also, I, I actually went to our the iris farm that we have in the area. If you haven't been there yet, it's Willow Creek, I, Willow Creek Farms hmm. over in Watoma. It's right on Highway 22 between Watoma and Red Granite. But it's an actual iris farm, which is they have thousands and thousands, actually hundreds of thousands of bearded iris in bloom every color of the rainbow. And I posted a really cool video on my Facebook page. So uh, go on there, check it out, and then drive over there this weekend. Um, It actually, you know, I was surprised Lois said herds were blooming because it was actually because of the winter we had. It was pretty pretty bad for irises. A lot of people are saying their irises aren't growing at all this year because it was so wet. And so we had that snow in April that kind of smothered them. So a lot of people are telling me that their irises aren't as good as they have been in past years. But that's because we had a really bad winter for irises. They like it dry, uh, and it was pretty wet this year. So, um, But they'll come back fine for next year.
2: All right. Well, if you have a question for Rob, please give us a call. 281-1150 is the number. We're going to take a quick break and be back with more outdoors with Rob Zimmer on Focus Fox Valley coming up in just a bit. Stay tuned. You're listening to Focus Fox Valley, I'm here stumped. with...
3: It's not rock with you. You
2: got it? You got the song there, Rob? I'm trying. Figuring it out.
3: Is it 80s or 70s?
2: I couldn't answer that question for you.
3: Oh my gosh. I wonder... Uh, oh, gosh.
2: Oh, we lost it. Cramp. Looks like it was Lowdown by Boz Skeggs. Oh. Nineteen seventy-six. See,
3: I knew I'm the '80s expert, not the '70s expert. Well,
2: we'll try to get one from the 80s <laughs> for the '80s for you next alligator. time. All right. Well, here with uh with Rob Zimmer outdoors with Rob Zimmer, and we are talking about lots of fun things today.
3: Yeah, lots of fun um things going on this week. Um, I also took a lot of hikes this week too. I went to lots of different places. I uh, went to Point Beach State Forest last night. It was amazing there mm-hmm. to be by the by the lake last night, nice and quiet. No, I couldn't believe nobody was there on a Thursday night. Uh, right before a busy weekend but we were skipping rocks and just walking through the woods looking at all the cool flowers. I uh, found some orchids there, found um, lots of mosquitoes uh, obviously but it was just beautiful there and I uh, went to Mosquito Hill for a hike this week. Went to a lot of different places just to get out and enjoy enjoy all the pretty flowers. Lots of wildflowers blooming right now. The wild lupine, the wild columbine, uh, like I was saying the orchids are out there. Um, So much to see. Lots of monarchs coming back, too. I've been counting monarchs this year because uh, they had a bad winter last winter in Mexico. So I've been counting every one that I see so far. And so far this year, I'm up to 25. So yeah, since in the last like two weeks or so, because the first one came back about the third week in May. So I've seen about 25 so far. So
2: Now, is there anything that we can do as maybe homeowners or, or folks who are lo- lovers of the outdoors to make the environment friendly for those monarchs?
3: Oh, yeah. And I, I've done several top 10 lists on that, like things that people can mm-hmm. plant for monarchs. So if you go to the, the show, um, the podcast, just look up. The, it's, it's a sorted out by top 10 list. So you can find the top 10 plants. But yeah, there's lots of plants that you can plant for monarchs. Obviously, milkweed is one of them because that's the only plant that monarchs will caterpillars will feed upon. That's what they host on. And there are lots of different milkweeds that you can grow. You know, a lot of people don't like to grow the common milkweed because it gets really big and aggressive and weedy. Uh, but there's orange milkweed, which is a compact one that they like. And there's swamp milkweed, which is more compact. Um, so there are other options. The other thing is planting a lot of nectar plants because, you know, in addition to the milkweed for the caterpillars. The adult butterflies need to eat, too, and they, they feed on flowers, so you need to have a lot of nectar plants out there for flowers. Things like bee balm is one of the best, whatever color bee balm you can get, um, asters and uh, zinnias and cosmos and sunflowers, and uh, there's both annuals and perennials that you can get. Blazing stars are great, especially metal blazing star. Um, lots of different plants that you can plant. Purple cone flowers—they keep coming to my
2: head—that <laughs>
3: you can plant for monarchs and, um, and of course, don't use pesticides in your yard or garden. You know, use all natural uh, gardening um, methods if you have to, because uh, any anytime you put a weed killer or an insect insecticide on your plants, they don't discriminate and they're gonna they're gonna kill even the good bugs too. So, try to avoid using those kind of uh, things in your yard and garden, and try to get your neighbors to stop using those too, because. Uh, sometimes those things can spread quite a long distance from where they're applied.
2: A lot of people might be thinking of putting down some, you know, weed killer because of those Mm. invasive plants that might be springing up. What are you seeing out there?
3: Uh, Well, weed killer is pretty, it's funny, weed killers are pretty much, um, they don't help as far as controlling invasive plants. So... um, the thing with invasive plants is that what a lot of people don't realize is there is no, you know, no matter what you hear on TV and no matter what you see in ads and garden magazines and stuff like that, there is no easy solution for getting rid of invasive plants. It takes work. And I have posted this on my Facebook page several times. Uh, you need to get out there and you need a hand pull and you need to, to um, keep it under control. Stop them before they go to seed, if at all possible. But uh, just putting a, a lot of them are spreading because they're, the weed killers are pretty much ineffective on them. So especially if you don't follow the prop- appropriate directions on those, those labels for weed killers. A lot of people buy it thinking, you know, I can put this on anytime and it'll work. Well, no, a lot of those weed killers and, and herbicides, they have very specific timing instructions and very specific application instructions. And if you don't use them correctly and appropriately, they're not going to work. So um, people, people waste a lot of money um, on chemical products that are really ineffective because of either when they're timing, uh, putting them on, or, or they're just using them incorrectly. So... Um, for a lot of your invasive plants, it's best to um, – well, depending on the area, um, there are companies like like Valley Organics, which is one of our, our sponsors on the show, who is a all-organic garden control and weed control uh, specialist. They take care of in, invasive plants with, with organic methods, um, and they will – that includes things like burning them uh, with a, a, a torch and then um, reseeding, because a lot your best defense against against a lot of invasive plants is a thick, lush lawn. Um, but depending on the inform- on the type of weed, or I don't want to say weed because uh, they're invasive plants, um, there's a, there is no one-stop, easy solution. And, and people are asking me that all the time. What can I kill this with? What can I kill this with? Well, you know what? Nothing. <laughs> you're not going to kill it. It's going to be years and years and sometimes decades of just keeping it under control because once they get in and get established, there's not much you can do to get them out. And that's, I mean, that's the most important thing people should understand. It is Invasive Species Awareness Month and um, be aware that there is no easy answer for getting rid of them. It's, It's constant pulling because even if you get it all out, there's still seeds. You know, there's millions and millions of seeds in some cases of garlic, mustard, and dame's rocket, and others that are just waiting there in the soil bed, waiting to to burst up as soon as they get room and some sunlight, they're going to grow. Um, even if you pull out all the plants that are there, you're going to have more for years and years and years to come. Because as they're learning, seeds can be dormant in the soil for, for centuries or, or mm. even thousands of years. They just, I, I remember looking, um, recently they had a story where, some seeds that they found buried in a tomb in Egypt or something like that. They actually planted them and they grew. Wow. And those are, you know, thousands of years old and and they grew. So
2: what's the best way to maybe determine if something is invasive?
3: Um, Well, if you don't know for sure, um, the DNR, the DNR, the Wisconsin DNR has a great website for invasive plants, um, which you can go check out lists and pictures of all the invasive plants that are in Wisconsin. Um, It's dnr.wi.gov and then just look up invasives and I'm going to go there right now because they do have a really nice page. They have two separate, um, actually several separate worksheets that you can look up all the plants that are considered invasive in Wisconsin. the 64 that were originally considered invasive, and then they added 52 more new ones to that list. So there's a lot of them out there. You know, there's almost 200 plants that are considered invasive in Wisconsin, and they have nice um, PDF files and posters that you can actually print out that show um, full-color pictures of all the invasive plants that are out there. Um, You can also post it on my Facebook page, and if I have time, I'll tell you if it's invasive or not, (laughs) Um, as long as you get a good close picture of the the leaves and whatever flower is there. Um, But the... The, the sheets on the DNR website are really good. Plus, they tell you with each plant, they'll tell you the control methods to use to get rid of it. So they have a lot of good information out there.
2: That's very helpful. It is. We do have Steve on the line, and Steve has a plant-related question. Hey, hey there, Steve.
3: Good afternoon. Hi, Steve. Hi. Um,
0: you know, you're talking about invasive species, and yeah, I've got one. I have I've crown vetch in my yard.
3: Oh gosh. And so do I. <laughs>
0: you know, and it's in berms, and it's it's in the lawn, and. You know, it's it's everywhere, and and I haven't tried really to control it with any chemical methods. I mean, I I mow it off and I pull it out, when, but you're never going to pull it all out. That
3: stuff is just nasty. Yep, and every little piece you leave in grows back. It's one of the worst. And you know how it got its start was the DNR planted it as a erosion control along all the highways, and you yeah. know back in the '70s and '80s or so. So I have
0: no idea how it got in my yard. I you know I had some dirt brought in at one point and I'm sure that's where it was.
3: Yeah, probably birds or something, but it can grow, you know, the seeds, they're they are in the pea family, so the seeds can, like, shoot out, you know, uh, a long ways, and then the stems themselves underground, they can, go, they can grow, like, 10 feet per year, so even if they don't pop up above ground, they're growing underground. Um, the seeds, obviously, the, those tiny little seeds, they can stay in the ground for 15 years and still be viable, so, yeah. It says here, one plant may grow to completely cover 70 to 100 square feet within four years, so...
0: Yes. Yeah, it's just, it's it's out of control. It gets long. It crawls up things. Yep.
3: It's oh, yeah. I have it, too, in my yard, and uh, I have it in some of my hosta beds. And thankfully, the hostas kind of uh, smother it a little bit and keep it down. Um, you know, they'll, they'll kind of crowd it out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the best things, if you have a big area of it, is just smother it. Either get some, like, some of the black... Um, uh, Pond liner or something like mm-hmm. that, and just smother it or smother it with cardboard. And you need to leave that on there like six or eight months and just smother it. Um, if you mow it, and I don't know if you're saying it's it's mixed in and among your plants or if it's in a in a separate area, but um, um both, you, both, yeah. The 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 parts that are out by themselves, you know, you can you can just smother that again, smother it with cardboard or, or black plastic or something. Um, it's gonna take you know, obviously, like I said, six to eight months to, to completely kill it. Um, they say if you control burn it, and I don't know if you can burn where you are, but control burning it in the spring can be effective, but you need to do that year after year after year. It's not, like I said before, it's not a one-time thing. Mm-hmm. Um, there are applications, you know, herbicides that are specifically known, known to kill it, but I don't think any of them can be used by just the general public. You have to have someone come and spray it. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah it's, uh, I hesitate to use, you know, use the pesticides right. and herbicides Me too. for the yeah. reasons you stated and, you know, the honeybees and all that
3: other stuff. You exactly. Know. And crown vetch, I mean, I don't want to say it's a bad plant because it is an excellent plant for, for pollinators. I mean, hummingbirds, hummingbees, hummingbirds, humming bees, honeybees, hummingbirds, <laughs> and um, butterflies love it. And it smells amazing, but it gets into everything um the key is when you're pulling it out you you have to get the whole plant including the entire root system cuz any little hair of a root or, or part of the plant that's left over will grow back and um yeah
0: yeah that's yeah and I, you know even in even in my flower beds and stuff so yeah. it it it's nearly impossible to get it all where you can even dig dig everything up
3: it is and they say i mean like if you can get like um Like I'm trying to think, like people use shingles and old carpet remnants and cut them up into small squares, you know, that they could put among their flowers and just, again, just leave it down there and and, and that'll smother it out. And even put mulch over it or something, but um, it, it's going to keep trying. It's going to keep working its way through and just pull out. You know, you'll, you'll eventually get fewer and fewer and fewer shoots to pull up. But mm-hmm. um, as with all the invasive species, there's no one easy, quick control. No, no herbicides going to just kill it for good because they spread so far underground and there's so many seeds that are just waiting to come up. Sure. So it's just yeah. smothering is the best for that one. If you can smother it with anything, like I said, cardboard remnants or. or Pond liner, or some thick black plastic, or um, shingles, old roofing shingles, and just cut them into pieces that you can fit among your plants. Mm-hmm. Um, okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's in part of my lawn, so I guess I, yeah, I could just you know tack down, like you said, some heavy, heavy um, plastic or something, and yeah, you know, and and then reseed that lawn next year. Right.
3: Yep. <laughs> but yeah.
0: Uh, yeah, it is some miserable stuff, and. I remember when it, it first started, I mean, it was only in one small area, but I didn't know what it was then, and, yep. you know, I tried to control it, and I, I beat it down, but like you said, yep. it traveled, and...
3: Yeah, and, and the flowers, if you let one flower go to seed, that those seed pods can shoot out, you know, I don't want to say 50 feet, but they can go out a long distance, you know, they, they explode, Yeah. Um, and those seeds just fly out, and wherever they land, that's a new plant that starts growing.
0: Yeah, they're like little, little, tiny little bean or peas. Yeah,
3: pea yeah, they're in the pea yeah. family, yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. Well, uh, thanks for the encouragement. Yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> but sm- With that one, smothering with, with whatever you can get is the best. And um, okay. even if you can just put, you know, six, eight inches of mulch down over, over everything in the garden, you know, around your flowers, that w- that'll that help. But you're still going to get some that will um, sneak through, and you'll just have to hand pull them out.
0: Okay, yeah. Okay. I guess if you continually pull it in the same spot, eventually it may not come up there. But Right. Yeah. Okay, well, I appreciate the uh, the uh, info. Thank you very you're much. You're welcome. Yep. Thank
2: you, Steve. Yep.
0: Bye-bye. Yep.
3: Bye.
2: All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with more of Outdoors with Rob Zimmer on Focus Box Valley in just a few moments. You're listening to Focus Box Valley, Outdoors with Rob Zimmer on. You got it, Rob?
3: I know this is the name of the song, but I don't know who sings it. Did I get the song right? Let's see. It's Let My Love Open the Door. I can't think of who sings it.
2: KC and the Sunshine Band. Oh, it's
3: KC and the Sunshine That's another 70s one, though, isn't it? Or is it 80s? You can't do 70s. Give it Not up. that old.
2: 1982,
3: Rob. Oh, okay. That That's was your one. Toto by Africa came out. Or Africa by Toto came out. That's my favorite song ever.
2: I love that one, too. Yep. Speaking of rain.
3: Speaking of rain. Oh, I missed the rain kind of cloudy out some, there. Yeah. No rain yet, good though. Good segue speaking of rain <laughs>
2: thank <laughs> you I try hey we were we were talking about some uh, some good resources for folks to check out if they yes. have questions about invasive species um, yeah
3: the DNR like I was saying the DNR has an awesome awesome um, invasive species resource page it's a lot of information you could literally spend a week on there just reading all this stuff but very interesting pages on identifying invasive species and controlling them and it it, it tells you, you know, each individual species even has its own control page. And I was just reading when um, we were just talking to Steve about uh, the crown vetch, and it said one of the best um, mechanical methods of controlling crown vetch is to get a goat. So, Steve, get a goat. Goats love crown vetch, apparently.
2: I was telling Rob I had a goat growing up. Yeah,
3: named Licorice. Her name was Licorice. Yep, I had mm-hmm. a dog named Licorice. That was sweet. That's funny. Yeah. But goats and cattle are, are great for um, a lot of invasive species if you can obviously have them where you have them or where you are. But um, yeah, but it has a great. Uh, I'm looking at the control page right now, and there's so many. It goes through all the different control methods. It explains, you know, how to control most invasive species. Um, it talks about how, um, you know, basically when you're looking at invasive species in your garden or in your yard, you'll always have, you know, three different areas. You'll have a core section. Where it's at its most intense, you'll have an advancing front, which is where the invasive species are trying to spread, and then you'll have what they call the outliers, which is your lowest density. Um, it's where the the stragglers are just moving out. Um, so that's where you want to focus your attention is uh, on those outliners, outliers, in the advancing front. And they say the core, the core area. Um, you know, you obviously want to prevent it from spreading, but you're probably not going to get rid of that part. Um, unless you really, like like we were saying with Steve, smother it or do something like that that would keep under control. But then it goes into all the different control methods and gives you so much good information on manual control and burning um, and, again, mechanical control, which is pulling or hoeing. It tells you when to mow all the different invasive species, like for the crown vetch that we were just talking about it says mow it right about now, uh, mid-May to mid-June, but then after that stop mowing because you're just going to make it worse if you st- if you mow that uh, crown veg into July and through the rest of the year because uh, you'll just be spreading the seeds. So if you're going to mow your crown veg, do it now. Oh, we got a call? Okay.
2: We do. 281-1150 is the phone line. We do have Carl on the line. Good afternoon, Carl. Yeah,
3: good afternoon. Hi, Carl. So
5: I was wondering, what what's the reason a lot of arborvitae turn brown? It seems like it maybe had something to do with the blizzard we had in April.
3: Yeah, it actually happened before that. Yeah, um, What it's called is called winter burn, um, and yeah, you're right. I've seen a lot of, and not just arborvitae, mm-hmm. but all of the conifers in the area. Um, it probably happened way back in December, which because uh, it does, it's not really from um, the snow itself. It's actually from uh, they call it desiccation. So a lot of people think that it's caused by um, the the snow and the cold, but it's actually caused by by dryness. And we had a really dry winter. Remember, they were saying all winter long we were twelve a foot in, a foot of snow below normal, um, and they just got really dry. And um, the combination of that, and usually on arborvitae and evergreens, it's only the side that faces the sun that has that windburn, or that that they call it windburn. It's not just the wind though; it's the sun too. So. Um, because we had such a a snowless winter. And you usually don't even notice it until March or April when it starts to warm up because they look green all winter, and all of a sudden in March or April and into May as the trees start to green out, you notice that brown on there. And usually they say leave it, Uh, don't touch it until about the 4th of July, and just watch because any new growth that will come out, conifers usually come out a lot later. So by about the 4th of July, if you don't have any green growth yet, then you can probably start you know trimming it back or if you have to replace it replace it but um uh, don't give up on them yet uh, and if there's any green growth in there at all uh, don't give up on it but uh, it wasn't just arborvitae i've seen you know spruce trees and junipers and dwarf alberta spruce and pines and others that got windburn really bad this year too but it wasn't from the snow it was actually done way before that
5: was there a way to av- avoid it in the future
3: yep yep there is i actually i I Covered that really good on the show back in November. November is the time to do it. Yeah. What you want to do is water them really good up until about Thanksgiving. And I tell people that every year in November, you really want to water your evergreens in well. Um, And then if they are prone to that, if they've had it before, what you want to do is just just wrap them loosely in burlap. You know, I see some people wrap them really tight, like almost like a, a ghost in burlap. But you want to wrap them up or even just build a screen around them, like a burlap screen or some sort of screen around them that protects that south southern exposure. But watering is the most effective one. It's the watering up until about Thanksgiving that that will protect them the most because they're getting it because they're drying out.
5: And then the sun, when the sun gets at them, it just burns them more.
3: Yeah, the sun. It burns them out more. Yeah, and it's kind of funny when you look. I mean, it's not funny, but when you look at some of the trees that have it, it's always the side that faces the sun that has it. The side against the house or the side that's not facing the sun is usually okay. So... But yeah, it, the key is the November watering. And people, you know, you usually give up after Labor Day. But I always tell them keep watering it at, at least until Thanksgiving. And really last year, if you remember, we had 60s and 70s up until like the middle of December. And then all of a sudden, the next day it got to like 15 below um, right before Christmas. And that, that did a lot of damage because there was absolutely no snow on the ground. Um, so that did a lot of damage to a lot of, a lot of plants too. But the, the wind burn, the key is keeping them watered well into, into late fall. All right. thank you. You're welcome.
2: Thank you, Carl. That's a great yeah. question. I have seen that a lot. I've seen actually.
3: I noticed it a lot this year. and and um, last year it wasn't so bad, which is odd. but uh, last year we had more moisture. And again, a lot of people think it's caused by the the cold, but mm-hmm. it's not. It's caused by the dryness. And um, if you remember, all winter long from December, January, February, March, every all you saw on the news was how how low we were on snowfall because we didn't get any snow all winter until April, really? We had a little bit here and there, but we didn't get a really good deep uh, snow cover. So it was really dry. And then all of a sudden, you know, in April, yeah, we finally did get 12, 24 inches, but it didn't really do much as far as uh, bringing back those conifers.
2: All right. Well, 281-1150 is the phone line number here. Yeah. And if uh, folks have any questions for Rob, please get those in. When we come back, Rob, your top 10 list. I will do it. All right, we'll be back with Rob's top 10 list, top 10 medium-sized hostas coming up here on Outdoors with Rob Zimmer on Focus Fox Valley. You're listening to WHBY. You're listening to Focus Fox Valley, 450 the time here on WHBY. This is my
3: jam, actually. That's
2: a good song. It is. And we are walking on sunshine here on a Friday exactly. afternoon. Yes. Happy Friday, everyone. Happy Friday. We're going to go to the phone lines. 281 1150 is the number here. We have Rod on the phone.
3: Hey, Rod.
5: Hi, hi Rob. Uh, maybe you covered this already. I kind of caught the end of it. Uh, just sheets of the grass in the yard uh, bare from this winter. Is that ice?
3: Oh, that it's possible. Did you in some areas there was a pretty significant ice accumulation this year? Um Where are you located? Greenville. Greenville. Did you have that? I mean, some places they they luckily didn't. But if you if you did have a big ice accumulation there, and if it didn't go anywhere for months and months, it it probably is.
5: And it's just sheets. It's probably eight feet wide and and long, you know. And I I can't really remember in the winter if there was a lot of stuff there, but. Uh, I've never had that, you know, lived here since 78, so yeah, never had it, just sheets of it, you know, uh, a sheet of it in the front yard and then alongside of one of the buildings and, you know, uh, so I yep. was just wondering would, would that ice would ice would do that. that
3: Definitely, thing. yeah, if it's on there for a long time, especially the wrong times, because cause like I said, um, Jan- December was pretty dry, but January, and it, this probably happened during the January, if you remember, and toward the middle and end of January, we just got tons and tons of rain. Um, mm-hmm. and then it froze solid by late January early February and then it just sat there some um, for like a month you know weeks or a month or so before it warmed up again in February and people had that ice um, and the ice is the worst thing you know especially if it's if it was so warm underneath it that it you know it, it the crown the root the crown of the plants just rot away so mm-hmm. it's possible wow. it was that it also could be the type of grass that was planted there, especially if it's in a. Um, if you planted a certain type of grass in that area, some grasses mm-hmm. will do that uh, more so than others. But I, I would I would probably bet it was weather related.
5: Okay, to to replant, uh, would you uh, till it up or would you just agitate it? Throw some seed down there, or what would you recommend?
3: I is there any green at all, or is it completely uh, just
5: weeds? Just
3: weeds coming up. Oh, just so weeds.
5: It, I did go get some. Um, I live in in a rural area, so I did get some pulverized dirt, I threw that on top of it and I'm just wondering and I don't see any grass coming through it other than just weeds.
3: Yeah. In that case then yeah, I would just put some seed on, on top of that and just do the whole thing. If you if you put some soil on top of it, yeah, you could um you know I don't want to say till it up but you could till it up a little bit or, or agitate it like you said and just throw your new grass seed on top of there and, and replant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and it's going to be nice much. and cool for the next, at least the next five, six days. So it's nice, cool weather to um, mm-hmm. uh, get it going. And
5: cover it, I would imagine, uh, with some straw or something. Yeah,
3: that right. Help, right. Yep. So.
5: Well, I enjoy your show. Wow. Really enjoy to have you on the radio.
3: Well, thank you so much, Rod. Mhm. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Yeah, the winter had a lot of different effects. on um, and he was talking about the lawns, and and like we like we were talking about, some areas got the really heavy ice accumulations. Some some places didn't. Um, It also affected roses really bad, which I think I'm going to wait until tomorrow um, it is National Rose Month, so mm-hmm. I wanted to talk about properly, it um, seems like the bad time right now, but I want to talk about properly protecting your roses because a lot of people didn't and then they're surprised when they don't come back. But roses in Wisconsin do take some some extra care for most varieties. Uh, but I suppose we should start my top 10 list. Huh? You have
2: your top 10 list here. All
3: right. So this is by request. A reader re- or a listener requested that I do the top 10 medium-sized hostas for the, for the garden, at least my top 10 favorites. Uh, and they didn't want the giant ones. Maybe I'll do the giant ones tomorrow just for fun because okay. a lot of people I want the giant ones. But medium-sized hostas today. Um, number 10 is a hosta called Maui Buttercups, which is a really fun little uh, heavily corrugated or suckered. It has that really cool texture uh, yellow hosta. I really love yellow hostas, and this one's unusual because it's yellow. Very thick, so the deer won't eat it. But it's called Maui Buttercups, so M-A-U-I Buttercups because it's yellow. Kind of number tropical n- feel there it's a tropical feel yeah. yeah a lot of those a lot of the ones I have coming up have a tropical feel uh, number nine is touch of class which is it sounds really elegant it really is it's a nice again a nice thick leaf pasta so the deer and rabbits leave it alone but it's a nice sky blue color with a, a lime green or yellow center depending Ooh. where you put it if you put it in the Sun it turns more yellow if it's in the shade it's more lime green but it's a very very Um, classy hosta called Touch of Class. Uh, Number eight is Autumn Frost, which is a really beautiful kind of newer hosta. It's newer the last uh, probably three or four years, Uh, but it's a nice um, creamy yellow on the outside with a nice sky blue center. So that's a beautiful, beautiful plant. Um, I think that's going to be hosta of the year one of these years coming up too, because it's a really beautiful one. So that is Autumn Frost. Uh, number seven is a cool blue hosta that I love. It's called blueberry muffins, and it, <laughs> it reminds you of a blueberry muffin because it's got the – it's a nice dark darker blue color, but the stems and into the leaf, it has kind of like that um, reddish-purple coloration. So the stems are like red, and then that coloration comes into the leaf, so it kind of looks like a blueberry muffin with that red and purple color in there. Uh, number six is uh, another food-themed one. It's called curly fries. <laughs> curly <laughs> how do you fries? come up
2: with that type of name? I know,
3: right? Because it looks just like curly fries. If you see the plant, the leaves kind of twist and curl, so it actually that's how it's got it, it's got its name. And it's a really neat. Um, kind of looks like it's always in motion when you look at the plant, even though it's really not, because the leaves curl and spin and twist, and it's just a fun plant. It doesn't even look like a hosta. Uh, Number five, another tropical one. This is called Rainforest Sunrise. That was hosta of the year, I think, in uh, 2013, I think it was. But it's a very, very beautiful yellow and this emerald bright green color. And it's another very heavily seersuckered one or very corrugated one. Uh, But that's a beautiful plant, Rainforest Sunrise, with a beautiful name, too. Mm -hmm. Number four, another food one. Uh, This is Raspberry Sunday, And that's a really nice hosta. Um, It's white. And it's green and then it's really bright red. The raspberry red, again, kind of like blueberry muffins, the red, the stems are this bright raspberry red color. And then that comes into the leaf. Like about a quarter of the leaf is that red color too. So uh, they call it raspberry sundae. Uh, number three is praying hands, like praying like you're praying, P-R-A-Y-I-N-G. They call this one praying hands because the leaves are kind of folded in half. So it looks like your hands praying. Oh, sure. So it's a really cool effect. And again, that one feels like rubber. It's like almost plasticky. So the deer don't like that one either. So that's a good uh, number three, medium-sized hosta. Number two is another really fun one called Wee, W-H-E-E, like wee,
4: <laughs> like it's really
3: fun. That's another really cool twisted and curling hosta. Oh, Africa, Toto. Does that mean I have to go? Is that the music? (gasps) Oh, my gosh. So, we is number two. That's a fun one. And my number one medium-sized hosta is, of course, it's June. So, it's June. June is an amazing hosta. You can put it in full sun or full shade. No matter where you put it, it's going to be beautiful and different coloration. Um, and that is my number one favorite medium-sized hosta. And now let's let Toto sing.
2: Perfect. All right. Thanks so much, Rob. Thank you. Rob will be back tomorrow here on WHBY. So yes. don't forget 7 to join him tomorrow at 7 a.m. And we'll be back with more of Focus Fox Valley in just a few minutes. You're listening to Focus Fox Valley on WHBY. Find
4: some old forgotten words or ancient melodies He turned to me as if to say Hurry, boy, it's waiting there for you.